I just love the Word of God. How many just love God's Word? Uh, it's such a powerful, such a powerful just message of love from, from God to us. And so I'm going to get right into it this morning. I don't want to delay. Uh, we're going to be going through Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's right. We're going to be talking about two verses this morning. Um, and I entitled my message, A Living Sacrifice. I remember when I was a kid, uh, maybe around 11 or 12 years old, we had just moved to New Jersey. And uh, my dad got connected with a, uh, a Messianic Jewish uh, rabbi. And so we, we came to this synagogue where, you know, there was so... I remember walking in and being in awe of, of just all of the different uh, decorations, you know, the Star of David. And, and I remember seeing this, this, like, super cool... I don't even know what it's called, but it's where they keep, you know, the Torah and the scriptures... Uh, and, and, and it was just so intricately decorated. And, and then the band came out and started playing these songs. And people were dancing and singing. And it was, it was an awesome experience. And I don't just mean like, yeah, totally awesome. But I mean like an awesome experience. I was like, whoa, like this is incredible. Uh, and there really was just that sense of awe, at least in, in, in my own heart. And, and then the rabbi came up and he started speaking in Hebrew and, and again, I was just—it was just awesome. And then all of a sudden, after he was done praying in Hebrew, he, he came, and I'm—I'm I'm dead serious. He said this. He was like, "I just want to thank everyone for being here tonight. For those who are visiting with us, uh, we're going to do something a little different t- tonight. We're going to—we're going to open up our our service with sacrificing a lamb." Dead silence. <laughs> I look over at my dad, and I'm thinking, "What have you done?" And I'm sure he was probably thinking, oh man, what have I done? Uh, but to our relief, the rabbi was, was just, he was just joking around with us. Um, and so, but I literally thought I was going to see an animal sacrifice for the first time in my life. And so we're all familiar with the concept of, of Old Testament sacrifice. And if you're not, uh, God would require the Israelites, the people of Israel, to sacrifice uh, one of their best animals uh, when they sinned. It was, a, it was an offering to God that would cover their sin. But in Romans chapter 12, this morning, Paul is, is talking about a different kind of sacrifice. Not, not a dead sacrifice before the Lord, but, but something called a living sacrifice. And so, why don't we turn there, Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God, we desire to learn from your word this morning so that it would change how we live. It would change who we are. That we would walk out of this place different because of the word that we studied this morning. And God, I pray that you would minister to us, Lord, and and show us, reveal to us through this word how we can change, oh God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of Paul's letters are considered occasional letters. What that means is Paul wrote them for a specific purpose to a specific 
people at a specific time. Uh, a lot of people believe that Romans is one of the first letters that Paul writes that is kind of like an exhortation. He doesn't write it for any particular reason uh, at all or an issue in the church, but he just kind of wrote it uh, to kind of explain the theology of, of salvation and, and sin and kind of give a little bit of a, uh, of a point of view from, from what he believed. But I believe that it's obvious that there is an issue that Paul is addressing here. Uh, the issue is between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians and Rome. A little historical background before we kind of jump in this morning. There was a decree by Claudius, he was an emperor in Rome, uh, basically said, if you're Jewish, get out of Rome. Uh, so that kind of caused a lot of the Jewish people, they had to leave. And so at that time, the Gentile Christians who were there had to assume the roles of, of leadership uh, that the Jewish Christians had held. And so imagine when Claudius dies and that, that whole decree is, is nulled, and now, oh, all right, we can go back to Rome. All of these Jews come back to Rome and they find, hey, what's that Gentile guy doing in my position? And for those who don't know, Gentiles are basically anybody besides a Jewish person. Uh, God's people are Israel. Israel is God's people. Those uh, are his people. Everybody else were considered uh, Gentiles. And so there's been a, a, a conflict between the two once the Gentiles were made a part of Christ. So the underlining circumstance Paul is addressing is that conflict between the two. But Paul is now moving forward. The, the first 11 chapters is kind of explaining the concept of sin, the concept of salvation. But it's at this chapter that Paul kind of says, all right, this is where our theology, what we believe about God, impacts our life. This is where the rubber hits the road. And so Paul says to both the Jews and the Gentiles, you need to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. So the question we ask this morning is, how do I live, how do I be a living sacrifice for God? And so I'm going to talk about four things this morning, not three, four. I'm breaking the mold this morning. And so the first thing that we need to do in order to be a living sacrifice for God is to remember God's mercy. Romans 12 begins with the word, therefore. All right, so what does that mean? If that word is there, it means that there's something foundational, there's something very important that triggers this thought, that triggers what Paul is saying here. There's something that set the foundation of what Paul states here. So I went back to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, uh, Paul kind of talks about three main things. He talks about the salvation of the Gentiles, that's us, through the rejection of the nation of Israel, of Christ. So when, when the nation of Israel as a whole rejected Christ, we got a shot. God then turned to us and brought salvation to us. And he, he paints this picture, Paul, in chapter 11 of this tree. Right? Think about this tree or the roots of that tree are Judaism. And that the branches are people who have been broken off. Some of the branches broken off because they did not believe in the Messiah who came, Jesus Christ. And those branches had been broken off. But then he paints the picture of us being branches that were fused in to this tree. God had made us part of the body of Christ, a part of his church, a part of his people. 
And then he proceeds to emphasize the mercy of God. Now, mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Remember the mercy of God. As I was, and I told my wife this and even uh, Pastor Gary, because Pastor Gary is the one who gave me this illustration I'm about to share. But I'm typing the word mercy on my, in the PowerPoint on my computer because this is how I type. And, uh, and as I'm typing, you know, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone, I'm like, I should probably think of an example about mercy to share. So I'm like, someone whom it is within one's power. And then all of a sudden I hear, oh, mercy, 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 mercy. And I'm like, oh, this is too good. And it was Bryce. How many know Bryce, Pastor Gary's grandson? Well, I'm in my office, and I hear, I hear this screeching cry from the end of the hallway. And I said, he's playing mercy with his, with his grandpa. And I said, that is perfect. And I said, what a great image of mercy. Obviously, we know Pastor Gary has the strength to overcome his 75-pound grandson. And so when, when you have the game Mercy, and stupidest game I've ever heard of in my entire life, probably invented by somebody who was like eight foot nine, you know, 650 pounds, and he just wanted to win all the time. Uh, but you kind of bend the other persons, for those who may have not heard of this game, you, you bend the other person's, you know, hands backwards. Basically, you inflict pain on the person, and then they cry for mercy, all right? And so the picture that I got in my mind, man, I am painting a bad picture of our lead pastor this morning. <clears throat> the picture that I got in my mind, though, was Pastor Gary had an authority or a strength to inflict harm on his grandson. Now, forgive me, Pastor Gary. Bryce knew that. Bryce knew that he could receive that harm. He could receive that punishment. And what, in essence, he was asking his grandpa to do was, I know that you have the strength and the ability to inflict harm upon me. And what I am pleading for is that you don't harm me. Show me mercy. And that's such a brilliant picture of mercy and how God had every right to inflict harm upon us, to punish us for our sin. God had every right to do that, but in His mercy, He did not give us the punishment that we deserved. And we cry out, mercy, God show us mercy, because we know that we deserved, we deserved it. It was coming to us. But this is where God took it even further. That's where he showed his grace. See, grace takes mercy one step further. Mercy doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace says, I'm going to give you a gift even though you don't deserve it. And God sent Christ as this precious, sinless gift. And the mercy of God didn't give us what we deserve, but the grace of God gave us a gift of eternal life so that we could be in right standing with God. Paul's reminding the Gentiles, you are separate from God. You didn't need, you didn't need anything. You didn't deserve anything from Him. 
to the Jewish people. He's saying, God has shown you mercy by revealing the Messiah to you. The Messiah that you waited for has finally come. And it's with this thought in mind that Paul says, Therefore, therefore in view of what God has done, therefore in the fact that you didn't deserve anything from God, but Him in His mercy did not punish you for what your sins deserve, but He gave Christ as a sacrifice for you. In view of that, in view of what God has done, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. Offer your lives as sacrifices to the Lord. This is your true and proper worship. If we never live, we will never live, rather, a life sacrificed to God if we forget the mercy that God has shown to us. If we forget what Christ has done on the cross, we will never live a life truly sacrificed before God. And it leads me to my second point. Respond in worship. If we want to live a life sacrificed to God, we need to respond and worship. The song that we sang this morning, The Stand, really hits home when you begin singing the words, God, you stood before my failure. You carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, and now my soul can stand. What's his response? He says, what, what can I say? The writer says, what can I say to this? What can I do except offer my heart, O oh God, completely to you? Paul is saying it's, it's the only logical reaction to God's mercy is to respond. The only logical action that we can take in God's mercy is to respond to it. How do we respond? By offering ourselves as a living sacrifice before God. We respond in worship. And this word worship in, in both languages, Hebrew and Greek, when you read your Bible and you see the word worship, you see the word praise even, they have multiple meanings. So you could see worship on the same page five different times, and it could mean five different types of worship before God. We've, we've condensed worship down to, you know, the songs we're listening to on iTunes and on our radio when we're driving to work. We've, we've condensed worship down to, you know, the songs that we listen to at church on a Sunday morning. But worship is defined as so much more than that. And I just want to read a couple definitions, just a couple, so that you get a clear, under, uh, clear understanding of the picture of worship. Uh, worship can be defined as to give thanks, also to show reverence to serve, to adore, to devote, to applaud, to tell a story, I really like that one, to bow, to make a fool of, to sing a song, to extend one's hand, to play instruments before God. We need to recognize that worship is more than a song. Worship is how we walk in thankfulness each and every day, recognizing what God has provided for us and not what He hasn't provided for us. It's how we reverently approach God, recognizing He's not some dude upstairs, He's not some homeboy, but He is the Creator Almighty of this universe. It's how we serve humanity created in His image, not asking God what's in it for me, but what's for your kingdom. It's how we love him, seeking his presence more than our desires. It's how we devote ourselves 
to him. It's how we applaud his great name with no shame. That we would be willing to make a fool of ourselves for the sake of the gospel that's worship to God. It's how we tell our story. Think about that. It's how we share what God has done in our own lives. Did you ever think that testimony was a form of worship? It is. Tell your story. Share to people what God has done in your own life because that's a form of worship before God. It's how we live in humility, considering others more important than ourselves. Not letting our own pride negate glory and worship from God. Do you know that walking in humility, recognizing that we do not have it that much together, that we are not that great. Walking in humility can be a form of worship before God. But can I say, just because I'm a worship leader and I'm a little biased, sing to Him. Can I tell you, sing to the Lord. There is nothing like a song. There is nothing like music that just stirs the soul. God has given us this beautiful thing called music, called song. And it's an enigma to some people. They don't understand why music even exists. But it's something given to us by God to declare His glory and praise. Worship is more than a song, but man, when we worship Him in song, there is something that just shakes heaven. And that just completely destroys the work of hell. Amen? So my heart is that we're all worshipers of God in this church.